and things like that. It's true lynching and things with Jim Crow. And this year evening, we want to dedicate this year program to someone who after that come part of we real and we sick with our ancestors, them, Marvin Vetch, who been a hold of the light in all area rights, land rights, environmental rights, rights for the people by being one we foster elder and thing for the Gullah Gitti Nation. So this year evening, before we grind yonder into this year third part of Gullah Gitti land and legacy, we won't take time for a key moment of silence today. Amen. Ah, shit. This year evening, we'll crack me teeth for not the last time for land and things like that, Eddie, but for the last part, this year been a series of three. The first one, we've been a crack we teeth, but just Gullah Geechee, land and legacy. We property. Second part, the last Monday this year time, we're going to crack we teeth for more than 40 acres and mules. But this year, you know, we're going to deal with rights and reconstruction. So for all the hundred children we're there around the world and things like that, the Yeti, we're going to crack we teeth. So we hope, say, if honey ain't done, Yeti, all of these years, you go iTunes, download them for free, or go on your honor to blogtalkradio.com slash gullagichi, and hundred children can download from there. Or go on your honor on Facebook and find Gullagichi Rhythm Radio there. And Hunter can always tune in to broadcast and thing from there too. And then if Hunter to go on to GullahGeecheeNation.com, Hunter going to find plenty of other, uh, our story part. We're going with these, your program and things like that, for you learn yourself some more about this year and learn the chilling too. So please, yeah, make sure for going on and share these, yeah, and share the link. And anytime when Hunter and I stand tall, tall, with a going on, you can always email me to G U L L. G-E-E-C-O at A-O-L dot com to make sure you reconnect and things like that. Or if you're looking for something from the archives and I can't find Well, this evening, when we going into Gullah Land and Legacy, Rights and Reconstruction, let me crack with you the other rest of the way that most of Hunter Tillin can understand. So in order for all of my listeners who've been tuned in over these years to truly under and overstand the broadcast, I want to speak in this language that's a little bit more common or that you can use, use at least use translation devices in most parts of the world and be able to still get what I'm saying in your own home language. Now, it's very intriguing to me that each and every time we do broadcasts about land rights, that the listenership live tends to be a little less than when we do things about festivals and festive activities. It's as if people don't recognize that we could not continue to host and hold these festivals and festive activities on a continuous basis had we not had our own land on which to hold them. Most of the festivals that we are aware of that end up having to use other resources owned by others tend not to last as long as those wherein people have their own properties and institutions in which they can hold such functions, or at least where they are in control of those functions. In addition, you don't tend to have as wide range and wide range reach in terms of the educational component when these activities are held on any long-term basis on the property of others because someone has to grant the right to the individuals hosting the event to have that event at that particular location. When you own it, you can grant yourself the right to do what you need to have done. As you've heard in previous episodes of the series, and also in other episodes about heirs property, about land rights, and about the Freedmen's Bureau, you will begin to under and overstand some aspects of what it was that Dr. King and others who marched for civil rights and then started to quickly realize through that journey and through getting the Civil Rights Act bill signed, which actually had been the second one in America signed, by getting the one that they did in the 60s signed, they started to realize that there was a much larger scope of the work that needed to be done, that the economic disparities that people were going through, the suffering that people were going through, this allowed them from fully participating in even the marches and the movements toward getting rights for themselves. Many didn't recognize that their participation 
in these types of movements were the very vehicle, the very tool that they needed to uplift themselves and upgrade their living standards. So they started off, Dr. King especially had the vision to truly do a poor people's campaign, which was going to focus on economics. Well, the greater aspect of that, when I look at it in the context of the Gullah Geechee Nation from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, wasn't looking at simply having proper housing for people as much as it was, how could people be economically empowered on land that they now lived on? Yes, they could use more accruements in the buildings that they had managed to amass the funds to build on their family lands and so on, but they also needed the support in the businesses that they were going to operate, whether that was a seafood operation, whether that was a woodworking operation, a blacksmithing shop, whether that was a shoemaking, whether that was going to be in carpentry or various other things. They needed the economics. And then they needed people who had skills for them to employ. So they would then need to make sure they had trainings for folks the same way people would train people to be a part of the civil rights movement. You need to be trained so that you would know some of these skills if you hadn't already acquired them out of the period of chattel enslavement into Reconstruction into the era now called civil rights. Well, we need to go backwards through those eras I just mentioned from those opening lines of tonight's show because many people might have been like me. You live to be an adult and never heard of a land-grant institution, a land-grant college, because you didn't attend one. And no one necessarily talked about the history of a lot of institutions if they didn't attend those institutions. Well, within the Gullah Geechee Nation, because we are in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida as well, we want to just look at which institutions exist in those four states alone that were originally land-grant colleges. The University of Florida was. Florida A&M, which is what that A&M stands for, Agriculture and Mechanics University, after the Second Moral Act, the name of the institution was the State Normal and Industrial College for Colored Students, very similar to the original name of what is now Penn Center Incorporated. It used to be Penn Normal Agricultural and Penn Agricultural and Normal School, okay? So very, very interesting, these names. In Georgia, we had the University of Georgia. A portion of the University of Georgia funds was also used to establish a branch in Delonia, Georgia, that became North Georgia College and State University, which then merged into what's now the University of North Georgia, as well as Fort Valley State University. All right. Then in North Carolina, they also had two, North Carolina State University, which those students still come every volunteer month, which is March, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation to do community service and work along with the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, and North Carolina A&T State University, which was founded in 1891 as the Agricultural and Mechanical College for the Colored Race. Okay, so when y'all see people stepping and stomping and y'all start seeing the A&T and the A&M and y'all never knew what it meant, now you'll understand that automatically starts giving you an indicator to some of the HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and why that exists in so many of their names. Here in South Carolina, Clemson University, which I attended and I studied engineering at Clemson as well as nursing at Clemson, and South Carolina, which is not an HBCU, and South Carolina State University, which everyone just about South Carolina knows full well, that a institution that is an HBCU, was founded in 1896 as the Colored Normal Industrial Agricultural and Mechanical College of South Carolina, all right, where Penn had been founded in 1862, all right, as Penn Normal Industrial Agricultural and Normal School. Penn was a what would amount to a grade school today. It gave you up to a 12th grade education. And these other universities that are now universities we know we go to as institutions of higher learning that you go to after the 12th grade. So you had a lot of similarities, though, in terms of the type of curriculum that these institutions had when they were first founded during the Reconstruction era. It was 
1890, it still has the 1890 land-grant legacy of services, citizenry of the state is what South Carolina State still claims that it focuses on. We do work with South Carolina State largely through our partnership with the Ujevan Dance Troupe. And so when we start to talk about land-grant institutions, land-grant colleges, we go back to the founding of the Penn School. There was an 1862 act that was the Land-Grant College Act. Some call it the Morrill Act. That's why you got the word Morrill earlier in one of the university names, M-O-R-R-I-L-L, okay, or Morrill Act. It was It provided grants of land to states to finance the establishment of colleges specializing in agricultural and mechanic arts. Okay, mechanics was considered art at that time. And so you had a person who sponsored it is where it gets called many times a moral act was because there was a congressman named Justin Smith Morrill who sponsored these. And it granted each state 30,000 acres, all right, 30,000 acres for each of its congressional seats. So the more congressional seats they had, the larger of an area that they would have to actually establish these institutions on. All right, funds from the sale of the land were used by some of the states to establish new schools. Other states turned the money over to existing state or private colleges to create schools of agriculture and mechanic arts known as the A&M colleges. And then the military training was required as a part of the curriculum. Now, we're not even going to touch that aspect of things right now, okay? But I also find it very, very intriguing because I had not ever looked into the true history of this until this preparation time for this show. But interestingly enough, the date of my installment, July 2nd, is actually the date that this had passed in Congress, okay? And so he was really looking to have the new western states established colleges for their students. So largely this money was used in the Midwest. So as you go further west within the Deep South, if you go west as well as more into the Midwest, you will tend to find that people are well aware of land-grant colleges. People speak a little less of that uh, on the East Coast. You do hear a lot about HBCUs, but you don't hear a lot about the land-grant aspect unless a person attended such an institution and they realize that. Now, now it's interesting when you look up the history on this. One of the things that I read says land was the key to the federal government's early involvement, for this was the most readily available resource in the unopened continent. You got that? Land was the key to the federal government's early involvement but this was the most readily available resource in the unopened continent. Land is still a key, and land is still a key for which you have various government entities trying to intervene, interject their will into communities like the Gullah Geechee Nation that seek self-determination and that continuously discuss land ownership and land rights and the rights of our people beyond simply the context of the civil rights and that which is human rights to their ownership of land, which we've been going over through a historical context in this series on Gullah Geechee land and legacy. We would have no legacy if we have no land. So if the federal government is well aware of that, that should make you well aware of the fact of why you would have certain government agencies, even at the present time, trying to do propaganda campaigns against human rights and self-determination because they don't want you to advance the cause of also looking at the minority rights and indigenous people's rights to the ownership of land like we talked about in the last broadcast of this series. They would rather you think that all black people after enslavement have been sharecroppers. That was not the case in the Gullah Geechee Nation. 
when Penn School was established in 1862 on historic St. Helena Island, South Carolina, that I'm a native of, which is in the Gullah Geechee Nation, and one of the last contiguous Gullah Geechee communities along the entire Gullah Geechee Nation, Sea Islands, that owns 90 to 95% of the entire island and owns several businesses of all types, from home base to storefront to restaurants here on St. Helena Island, as well as has land that festivals are done on and that also coupled with institutions, which is now like the historic Penn School, which is Penn Center now, which was a critical place in regard to the civil rights movement, not only because of the trainings of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and various other groups that at that time were considered progressive and that were engaged in the civil rights movement, but also because this is the place where Dr. King first announced his plans for the engagement in the Poor People's Campaign and to now try to eradicate poverty. Well, the quickest way to eradicating poverty is to enfranchise people. One of the greatest ways to be enfranchised is to own your own land and then to have the knowledge imparted to you of how to not only construct places on your land in which you can live and in which you can have other institutions to have other functions, whether those be spiritual institutions or whether those be educational institutions or both, or and use one institution and use it interchangeably like they like we once did, or you have places where you run businesses, but especially where you have the knowledge imparted to you of how to grow your own food on the land and physically then maintain yourself and economically benefit from the same. So again, why it would be of interest to others to know about how you're doing what you do and why it would be of others to try to disenfranchise you instead of enfranchising you. So it's very interesting that largely this act was, of course, not for people of African descent to get these types of land-grant colleges to help them or to allow them to get subsidies to help with their own farmlands, and hence why we had many secret societies, fraternal orders that developed within our communities, such as in Saul Legree. Up to today, in Saul Legree, James Island area, Charleston, South Carolina, and the Gullah Geechee Nation, they still have the Saul Legree Farmers Lodge. The farmers' lodges and the burial societies were the fraternal orders that helped people of African descent, the black farmers and their families, be able to thrive and survive during the Reconstruction and the Jim Crow era. They were the ones that would help them get money if they needed new farm equipment, needed new livestock, and truly could not amass the funds immediately in a lump sum to obtain these things. These places ended up helping them while the government was helping the Anglo males, as Dr. King stated at the beginning of this program, with these land grants. And these are things that I never heard of being taught in U.S. history class. These are not the things we learn. Usually you go through the, you know, this whole founding fathers thing and you go through calling all black people slaves and then you jump somehow to the civil rights movement. And so it's intriguing to be an adult and then learn these things because I go around the world on world tours and speak at institutions, and then I want to know the history of the institutions. So last year I had the opportunity to have the red carpet laid out for me at Alcorn, which is a land-grant institution in Mississippi. And so in going out to Alcorn, I was able to learn more about land grants, okay? Now, the purpose of the land-grant college was without excluding other scientific and classical studies and including military tactics to teach such branches of learning as are related to agriculture and the mechanic arts in such manner as the legislatures of the states may respectfully prescribe in order to promote the liberal and practical education of the industrial classes in the several pursuits of professions in life. 
So that meant at that time, you know, you were not yet fully in the industrial age, but that's what the mechanic arts were about, was about getting you into industrialization and so forth after the end of the Civil War and moving further into the Reconstruction period that started up more of the industrialization, which is when we, of course, into the early 1900s, started finding a great deal of outward migration of black people from the South as they went northward to work in the mechanized places that existed in many urban centers. And so you had a lot of people from the South end up in Chicago and Detroit and New York where they could get factory work. Even places like Savannah, Georgia and Jacksonville became places that were port cities that if they couldn't get a job at a port, they could end up in a factory because of this mechanization and industrialization. But now, people were leaving the South also because of the lynchings and that were going on and that was not protecting their human right nor their civil right to the very existence of living on land that many others had already obtained due to land auctions that happened here in the Gullah Geechee Nation that many families still live on and that today when you hear about it in the news and you read about it online, is heirs property, H-E-I-R-S, property. These are lands that you've heard me speak about many times in this broadcast that are owned by tenants in common. Now, some of this heirs property land got into the hands of our people during the distribution of lands by the Freedmen's Bureau. And I've done an entire broadcast. You can find it in our archives. Type in Queen Quet and Freedmen's Bureau or in a Google or Bing, and you should come up with to rhythm radio broadcast on the history of the Freedmen's Bureau. But I want to kind of go into the Freedmen's Bureau for now because many of you who watch Gullah Geechee TV, you have seen my journey to Jehosi Island. So again, in preparation for this program, I found some interesting documents that are from the records of the Freedmen's Bureau and their work in South Carolina. And in fact, the headquarters agent of the Freedmen's Bureau that was on Edisto, as we say, Edisto, sometimes don't get anything like that. He big shout out to all the people who did it for Edisto Island. Now, many of you have also seen me on Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio, and if you are a Gullah Geechee Facebook, Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan, you've seen many photographs and things of me on Edisto Island helping with the National Scenic Byway. We got that passed through Edisto and doing a lot of other events and activities, including our Gullah Geechee Nation International Music and Movement Festival there. And so when you see me actually in these places and a dry long sword, thing like that, all of these are a part of the Gullah Geechee Nation. And so when we spent time on Edisto, it's because of the history of Edisto as it relates to the Gullah Geechee Nation and trying to further enlighten people that not only is it a place that rightfully was granted this status of being a national scenic byway, but it also is an extremely historic area as it relates to black land ownership and Gullah Geechee land ownership and the rights of the people to stand up for their right to continue the ownership of land. When the document by William Tecumseh Sherman's special field order number 15 was basically negated, and when even the Emancipation Proclamation and other things, there were attempts to undo what these documents set forth after the assassination of Lincoln, there was an attempt to try to get the African people who were the Gullah Geechis that had already established themselves on different lands to return that land, restore that land to the previous people who had held them in bondage. Well, at Edisto, such a meeting had taken place with uh, Oliver O. Howard, and many of you who saw me in the documentary Reconstruction in the Second Civil War, or you figured out it was me because I actually was an extra or in that film, and I also sang in that film. So you might not recognize me right off. I played two parts in that film. And, if, and I also consulted for it. So it's one of the films that we are going to be showing this year, Black History Month, 
program at St. Helena Public Library. It's free. It's open to the public. Anybody that wants to attend, you need to come out to that and be able to learn more, see more, and then get into a discussion with several of us who actually were part of the film. And that's going to be Saturday, February the 15th. At noon, we are going to start that program, and it will go until 4 o'clock. So bring out the family, come relax. We usually have food so that you don't have to leave. We can just come and relax in a good afternoon about our story as part of our Living History series. Well, with Edisto, when they came and told the people to restore the land, the people said, no way. And they came out armed, and they refused to return any land. Well, many of you who saw me go to Jehosi Island, Jehosi Island, is next to Edisto Island. You go through Hollywood, South Carolina, and you can get to Jehosi Island. So it's very intriguing to me now to look back on Freedmen's Bureau records at this point in life after I've done so much traveling as a head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation by water because there were many documents I've come over over the years that has me wearing reading glasses now, especially a low-light in various archives in order to rebuild our resources and bring back to my people that which had been taken from us. Spent a lot of time in many archives around the world, many libraries around the world. My personal library is massive, and it became the Gullah Geechee Alke Bulan archives base was from my own personal library of books. So there were names of places that before I would say, where is that? I never heard of that. Is that a real place here in the Gullah Geechee Nation? Jehosi is one of the places that I probably said, well, they must have changed the name of that until I got an opportunity to visit Jehosi Island. And so now these things jump out at you, as people would say. So when I was looking today, I really was stunned when I saw Jehosi Island's name in the Freedmen's Bureau records. Edisto, January 8th. 1866, Assistant Adjunct General H.M. Smith writes, Sir, accordance with orders dated December the 28th, I enclose names of freedmen who have been further furnished certificates of land on the plantation of William Aikens, Jehosi Island, also form of certificate. The parties holding these grants formerly belonged to Governor Aiken and have always lived on Jehosi. I am, sir, yours very respectfully. Signed, D. Went Whitemore, Agent Bureau Freedman, Edison Island, South Carolina. So he was sending this, actually, and they have it H.W. Smith, one place, and H.M. Smith. So the middle initial, I guess, wasn't clear in the handwritten version when this was reprinted. So we have D. Went Whitemore, actually, who is the agent of the Bureau of Freedmen at Edisto, writing to the Assistant Adjunct General H. Smith. All right? Now, the names of the freedmen to whom the land had been granted on Jehosi were Joe Edwards, Daniel Sparing, Jerry Richardson, London Richardson, Andrew Brightman, Joe Bennett, Toby Richardson, Morris Judge, David White, Billy Hartley, Harry Davidson, Jerry Dallas, Peter Black, Prince Maxwell, Thomas Faring, Simon Boggs, Paul Gaythard, Cyrus Grant, Sam Singleton, July Street, Abram Morden, Morgan, David White, Tom Judge, Stephanie Richardson, Romeo Burnett, and Moses Knight. All right? All of them were granted 40 acres. 40 acres. You heard what I say. Each one of those names that I named were granted 40 acres. Now, interestingly enough, at the end of the U.S. Civil War in 1865, there were 40,000 Gullah Geechis occupying sea islands on 400,000 acres of land. You heard me at the beginning of the program dedicate this show in in four tonight. Four is a critical number to us as African people. Life, birth, life, death, afterlife is part of the cosmograph. People talk of the four corners of the world. Four is such a critical 
element in our existence. So when I saw this was 2014, then there was the 40 acres and a mule. Then I see that there's 40 acres land grants being given. And there was 40,000 of our ancestors on 400,000 acres of land. No doubt, I took pause. No doubt, I reflected on that. No doubt, I had to meditate on that a little while. Because that's a lot to realize and take in all at once. And I'm sure there is more significant context within. But we're not going to expound too, more, too much longer on that four. But those are critical numbers to keep in mind. Imagine 40 men with 40 acres apiece working together, though, staying themselves, and then to protect that land and protect their families on it so that no one else would come in and feel that they could retake the land, so to speak, and remove and displace them from the land. And as we go further and further into the remaining shows of this month, we're going to deal with some issues about this continuation now of Negro removal that people call gentrification. And we're going to deal with other contexts of what others call land grabs around the world at this current time. And then we're going to go in through our Black History Month series and delve into the various areas of black land ownership and what has happened over time in those areas and in those arenas and in this context. Today, I couldn't tell you as a mathematician definitively whether it's still 400,000 acres of land owned in totality throughout the entire Gullah Geechee Nation from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida, and owned by Gullah Geechees because of the fact that there have not been consistent surveys to even recognize the existence of Gullah Geechees, much less to have any box for anybody to check and say, I am a Gullah Geechee landowner on any document that anyone has ever created. So with still Gullah Geechees themselves, some in an identity crisis as to whether Gullah Geechee represents them or not, leads you to a great deal of psychological damage that was brought on by the disenfranchisement of peoples that were being removed from these very same lands, some granted, some purchased during the Civil War and into the Reconstruction era. When we start to look at the Freedmen's Bureau and they mention land grants, it's because the people were not supposed to have to pay for it, but simply homestead this land not sharecrop the land. And the attempt to try to bring in sharecropping on the Sea Islands was attempted on Edisto and did not last very long. The majority of Gullah Geechees that we're talking about know nothing of sharecropping. Their families never lived on somebody's property to work piece of land to believe that at some point the house they were staying in was going to become theirs while someone kept on the books and continued to say how they never had paid off all their debt yet. A majority of Gullah Geechees bought their land outright and still own it outright today without any mortgages on it. There are some who take it now and put their land up against something to borrow money, and that's how we got into land loss. Okay, and that's a topic for another show and one we've touched on on other shows before in the archive when we deal with land ownership. But now, there was also a very intriguing document concerning people a little bit closer to my island, St. Helena Island, because there's a document that was done in 1865, which was from the Office for Freedmen, which was in Beaufort, South Carolina. That's the county in which St. Helena Island is located. That's the county in which Hilton Head, Fripp Island, Ladies Island, Cat Island, Cane Island, and the islands of Port Royal that the town of Buford and town of Port Royal sit on all are in, along with other smaller islands as well, and the town of Bluffton. So in case you're trying to keep up with me geographically here, and if you keep up with these shows and you wonder sometimes where I am, that's why I want to make sure that you're clear on this. 
Now, on August the 1st in 1865, this letter was put together, a report was being submitted by H.G. Judd, who is the acting superintendent of the 1st Division for the Bureau and the Office for Freedmen, which occupied many of the historic homes that's on Bay Street and Buford, and was helping the, quote, blacks or the freedmen to understand their rights and understand their land ownership. But while they also did this distribution of lands, they also reported, because, of course, it's the Federal Bureau that's doing this. So here is this report concerning freedmen on Port Royal and adjacent islands, meaning St. Helena ladies and so forth. General, in obedience to the requirements of General Order Republishing Circular Number 10, I have the honor to submit the following concern concerning refugees, freedmen, and abandoned lands. That's what the Freedmen's Bureau was for, refugees, freedmen, and abandoned lands. Okay, In the district comprising Port Royal and adjacent islands and such portion of the abandoned land upon the main extending northwardly from the Coosa River as have been visited and inspected, no census of the freedmen in this district has been taken since November of 1864, and any estimate of the population at any period since Sherman's refugees began so largely to increase the number would necessarily have been unreliable and at best only approximate the fact. From January 1st to this date, nearly 17,000 freedmen have arrived at Buford, whom not exceeding 1,000 now remain this side of the Coosa. 350 of these are staying in the town, more than one-half of whom are paupers, that means the town of Buford, with an uncommon portion of very infirm and aged people. Upon the island plantation, 67 of which are being worked to a greater or less extent, the population is not far from 5,000, embracing 450 infirm orphans who have until this time been subsisted by the government. Freedmen and refugees in Buford, number 2,200, and on abandoned estates above the Coosa, 600, making a total of about 7,800 in the district. Now, it's interesting that at that point, there were 7,800 in the district, and they're talking about this Port Royal region, as they would call it, the Port Royal district, wherein today there are 10,000 Gullah Geechis on St. Helena alone. So you can see how we've been fruitful and multiplied, all right? The average arrivals of freedmen in transit from all parts of the state, Georgia, Florida, and North Carolina, seeking their relatives. Let me say that again. The, the average arrivals of freedmen in transit from all parts of the state, meaning all parts of South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and North Carolina, seeking their relatives. North Carolina, Florida, you got relatives in South Carolina. Who be Gullah Geechee and things like that? So stop telling all the rest of the people, say, you ain't supposed to know if one of the Gullah Geechee, but you know, say, you're a grandma with a Gullah Geechee and all kind of cracking thing, yeah? All right. The average arrival of freedmen in transit from all parts of the state, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, seeking their relatives and endeavoring to reach their homes, have been 50 per day. 50 per day. And 21,000 rations have been issued to each, to such persons, during June and July, on the grounds of absolute destitution and inability to proceed further without such aid. Now, these people were going to the length that even starving, they were trying to get back to their people. I can only think right now of the words of the late Gil Scott Heron, I got to get back and see my people. Now, this is a critical thing. When we talk about Gullah Geechee land ownership, we talk about the legacy on the land, and we talk about fighting for the rights of the land. I go to Dr. Umar Johnson and a quote from the coming documentary, Wilmington on Fire, that deals with further disenfranchisement of Gullah Geechee's from the city of Wilmington, North Carolina, where he mentions necessity is the mother of progress. I know a lot of your minds want to say the, the mother of invention. It's the mother of progress. And he pointed that out because at this period of time that we're talking about tonight, it was a necessity for black people, for Gullah Geechee people, to be with their own people. 
So they did not run from the people and run to other places and be individuals and say, I'm moving because I'm going to just keep my money to myself and whatever I'm going to do is just going to be on me and I can handle it by myself. No, they had been taken from their people and they wanted to get back to them. So again, whether we are looking at civil rights, whether we are looking at human rights, it is critical to have the family together on the land. So here it is that even at the point of starvation, even at the point of being almost disabled because of it and being destitute, these folks made their way here. And God blessed them that the Freedmen's Bureau had rations to give them so they could go on because they said they couldn't even proceed further without aid. Now we pick up again. The whole number of rations issued in the district that Freedmen and the Provost Marshal had provided for white refugees, they said, from June 1st until the date is 8,000. 80,000 they had provided for, of which the value of 25,754 rations, or $5,150, has been charged against the consumers and a lien made upon the cotton crop for its payment. Once again, that cotton crop, who do you think was harvesting that? Our people. Again, where does cotton come from? Land. Don't tell me Q-tip factory, please. From land. Okay? Here we go. It is proper to state that the ration has not included several of the articles enumerated in circular number eight, meal and meat being on the offered, often the only subsistence asked for. One hundred articles of clothing have been given to freedmen since June the 1st. Now, mind you, let me back up. These rations weren't supposed to be for the whites. That's why they threw that in so you would know that even there were white refugees at that time and that they were even coming for assistance. But these things were really to be allocated to the freedmen. Freedmen had to be a person of African descent because that was the people who had previously been in bondage, in case you weren't clear on that point. Okay. Now, 100 articles of clothing have been given to freedmen since June 1st, the value of which was $50. The whole of it was donated by the agent of the Sanitary Commission, and no supplies distributed from his office have apparently been more needed or better bestowed. Concerning abandoned lands, not yet formally taken possession of by any agent of the Bureau in the district, the first report must necessarily be meager, so little time being given for survey and the gathering of information. Herewith is transmitted a sketch of such estates as have been visited and I append estimates of each area of which, with whatever facts have been procured relatively to the former owners, and a statement of the present conditions of each. And I earnestly recommend that all needed steps be steadily taken to secure the entire control to the Bureau of these and still further outlying abandoned properties, as they will be needed to furnish homesteads for very many families who will return hither as fast as the way is open for them. So the Freedmen's Bureau realized with this influx of all these people that were coming, that they needed to make provisions for the rest that was coming behind. They knew all of these folks were trying to get back to their people and to get back to land and especially get to this island land where their people had been when they were taken from them. And this island land that they had now heard had been designated for the living of only the Negroes, and that they would have a right to take a stand and own land, that they would no longer be considered under law a piece of property, but now be property owners. So when he reported further, he reported on Barnwell Island, Hall Island, Chisholm Island. He reported on plantations along the Coosa River. He reported on the estate of T.H. Mann, estate of Hal Stewart, Oak Point. He talked about Rap Elliott, Paul Hamilton, Desiree, John Jenkins, all of these people who had formerly enslaved people, Walter Blake, Henry Middleton, Greenpoint, Clay Hall, Bradford. He reported on the estate of Reverend Stephanie Elliott, Dr. Thomas Fuller, many of y'all sent Helen and Nova Fuller, estate of Barney, John Chaplin, John Rhodes, the Yates Plantation, 
Periclea Place and Port Royal Ferry, and so on. There was a 34 estates. That was 25,700 acres of land on an estimated area of 22,000 acres, and that they felt there were some 600 families. Now, let's be clear for everybody else around the world, a Gullah Geechee family is not a nuclear family. It's not wife, child, and a husband. That could be 15, 20 head of people. So we have to keep in mind how many people that really could be. And so when we start to talk about the the extent of land ownership at the closing chattel enslavement, at the closing of the worst period that exemplifies, magnifies the horrific nature of the crime against humanity that's written of as transatlantic slave trade, slavery, and so forth, our people march out together to come together to have a place on which to build homes, build institutions, have businesses, and feed themselves from it for themselves collectively, heirs together, tenants in common, family compounds are established and maintained. Some are simply maintained because, remember, there were many of our ancestors already on islands like St. Helena when the Freedmen Viewer and all of them came in. There was families like I was on Edisto when the Freedmen Viewer came in. There was families like I was on Jehosi. So many people just stuck claim to where they already were and the Freedmen Bureau then issued them the land grant paper. If it was at the auction, they got the deed that I tell you many of our families, including mine on both sides, we still have our deed from 1862, prior to the existence of this Bureau for Refugees and Freedmen and Abandoned Lands. And so here it is that we should not take it lightly today as to why there are still these attempts by state, local, federal governments to intervene in land ownership of Gullah Geechee's to the point of trying to commission others to tell you not to focus on human rights because when you look at land ownership in the context of protecting a culture from genocide, it takes it to a larger worldwide platform of international human rights law, and they would rather you think that the only mechanisms that are at your disposal are civil rights mechanisms at your local government. You have to be active together collaboratively within your family in order to then be able to be effective in community and then to be effective in having a nation that is strong and that can continue to journey on together. So this is why when we talk about Gullah Geechee land and legacy, I don't speak of it in a vacuum, and I knew it wasn't going to be only an hour worth of programming. And, yes, it's not a surprise that the listenership started to go down, but I'm sure it'll start to go up again in Black History Month when people feel like that is the only period of time that they should listen to and learn about our story. Well, Black History Month is every month for us here in the Gullah Geechee Nation because we're black every month, and we are still creating more pages of our story. But I pray that every listener will write their name down on a roll tonight. Begin to aspire toward land ownership wherever your family roots are. I didn't say come to the Gullah Geechee Nation. I said where your family roots are. Establish yourself there. Establish land ownership because that is enfranchising not only yourself but your future generations. Establish yourself economically so that you can maintain the ownership of that, but you can also leave something to your heirs as I have outlined over these three parts in this series, how our ancestors here in the Gullah Geechee Nation left this to us. So for anyone who does want to support our efforts in holding on to Gullah Geechee land and its legacy, please become a member of the sponsors of this broadcast, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. You can do that one of two ways. You can go to www.gullahgeechee.net. See what we are about, and then go to www.gullahgeechee.com. 
www.biz.biz and pay for your membership there. You also get a little gift that comes with your membership when you pay for it there. Or you can email G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com for a membership application. Again, G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. And membership is over to any and everybody around the world who want to help Gullah Geechee protect our land, our legacy, and our human rights. You can also go again to G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E dot B-I-Z to pay for membership and also purchase other Gullah Geechee items there as well. And our page for the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, our website, our URL is G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E dot N-E-T. We also launched a site this week, GullahGeechee.us, that you, and Geechee does not have an eye in it, as you've heard, GullahGeechee.us, all right, and you can go there and see the educational workshops and the tours and the various other things that we do for people to come in and learn about our story from us, and that is part of you also being able to economically help to further empower those of the Gullah Geechee Nation to remain on our land while there's a strategic process that has been ongoing to attempt to displace us from land from the time that we became owners of it. And, yes, as Prime in, in our chat room tonight has said, that's a blessing to have your own land. I say amen. It truly is. And I thank God for my ancestors and elders that held on to it for us. And so in these last few minutes, I want to do what I do each Monday, open up the phone line, 347-324-3903, If Hunter Chillin want to join me and crack a teeth for a few minutes and things like that, then Hunter know how for reach we go ahead and give us a call, 347-324-3903. I already have a 347-207 on the line. What going on, 347-207? Peace and blessings. Uh, just... Hey, so we can barely hear you. All right, I think that person just wanted to listen in, didn't actually have a comment to make, but if someone has a comment to make or has a question, y'all can type it in the chat, and you can also, again, call us at 347-324-3903. And definitely I appreciate each and every one of you who has been on this journey with me through all three episodes of Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy. As, as I said earlier, and some of you might not have captured that in Gullah, if you go to GullahGeecheeNation.com, you will see not only the links to each one of these broadcasts, which you will actually see historic documentation that gives you some more historic background to each one of these episodes. This information for this episode will be up tomorrow. Usually it goes up the day after. So parts one and two can find tonight at GullahGeecheeNation.com. You can always go to iTunes and download Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio for free. You can subscribe there for free, as well as go to Blog Talk radio.com slash Gullah Geechee, and you will also be able to subscribe there or follow us from there, and you'll get notices each Monday night, 7 p.m., when this show is coming on the air. So, Hunter Chillin, no matter where Hunter to be, in this your last, what is it, Gullah Geechee Nation, Hunter C., from Jacksonville, Florida, to Jacksonville, North Kakalaki, Hunter Chillin, make sure you hold punt this year, Gullah Geechee land. And Gullah Geechee Legacy. This year the Queen Quet head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter Chillin tune in one more again to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. February 1st, the Gullah Connection and I start off our world tour, which is Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy. Hope that we get to Hunter City. Make sure you join we. God bless you, Chillin. See you on, on Facebook and on Twitter at Gullah Geechee. Well, honey, can yet it plenty more, but who we be at all about Gullah Geechee, land and legacy. Peace and blessings.